So you are no longer a primary school teacher. <laughs> I've never been so happy. <laughs> it, it's, it's a, I miss the boys being at home. I do not miss the nine tasks a day. It's dropped them off yesterday. Wonderfully, they wanted to go back. They were happy. They didn't eat. One of them so cool, he wouldn't even give me a kiss in front of his friends. He's five. I was, like, I was like, I'm not having that. You're five. I'm your mother. Give me a kiss. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they went in. They didn't look back. There's me standing there waving, waiting for this like emotional scene. Didn't even turn around. I was like, no, no, it's fine. That's okay. In they went. They'd, and I came back. And I sat down, um, my other half working from home still, and we just sat and we just said, listen. And there was silence. Oh, it was, so nice. It's, uh, you know, look, it's good for them to be back. They need to be back for social reasons, for educational reasons, all those <laughs> well, kinds of reasons. Because your education wasn't cutting it. <laughs> my education <laughs> was, although, it, no, it wasn't cutting it. I was actually about to, no, it wasn't. <laughs> I just, you know, I'm happy now that it's gone back to the, there'll be some reading to do in the evening. At some point, there'll be a little bit of writing to do. I can do that. But I'm, you know, no, it's it's done. So, yeah, now I'm wondering how to fill my days. <laughs> I've gone to the opposite extreme. I'm like, what do I do? Uh, no, so it's great. Yeah, school's back. And, it, it, you know, it just, it gives us a bit of normality. Do you know, I know things are still far from normal, but... You know, they're taking them to school. It, it just feels like we're just getting a bit closer to normality returning. Oh, it just feels within touching distance, doesn't it? It's, it's yeah. going to come. We're going to be allowed to play tennis in the UK soon enough. So that's exciting. End of March. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Outdoors. And the weather's getting a little bit better. I mean, it's still chilly, but it's getting a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. And Roger Federer is back playing tennis. He is. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so it'll feel normal again. <laughs> yeah. It would be interesting, though. He said, what did he say? That he wasn't going to be... He doesn't expect himself to be 100% until Wimbledon. Conveniently, peaking at Wimbledon <laughs> once again. But, yeah, interesting. But he's lost his title, hasn't he, of the uh, longest... Well, most amount of weeks, number one. Is it most amount of weeks, number one? Yeah. Yeah. It's, Rack them all so, up. So, Djokovic now, we're looking at 311 weeks and counting. I mean, that spans a decade. And that is phenomenal. And when you think he's not... He doesn't show any signs of slowing down. So it's 311 now. So what on earth is it going to be like at the end? I mean, we talked last week about the gulf in the final of the Australian Open between him and Daniel Medvedev. So who's going to be challenging Novak Djokovic anytime soon to be number one? No one. Uh, the only one you could possibly, possibly fathom might be a Dominic team. Uh, but I just don't see it. I just don't see it for, for some time. I think he's got a good couple of years in him as long as he's fit and as long as he's playing. Yeah. I mean, who? I mean, even Nadal, because Nadal just, I don't think he can really play enough or sort of, I don't know, he, of course, on the clay, he's doing incredibly well and yeah. he will continue to do that. But yeah, it's just, yeah, back to normal, isn't it? Just same old, same old. It, it's it's absolutely extraordinary, the, the three of them, of course. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Just all the stats that have come out recently. Most weeks at, at number one in ATP rankings, 311 for Djokovic, 310 for Roger Federer. Then in terms of active, well, third is Pete Sampras, 286. Active players, Nadal in sixth, 209 weeks. Oh, and there's that's the end of your active players in the top 10. I mean, it's, it, these numbers, these numbers are incredible. And these numbers are, 
I think they're just they're just phenomenal, really. I remember when Federer was dominating and he was number one for such a long time. I think I believe I'm really sorry if it's wrong, but I believe it was Andy Roddick who said, you know, you've got to understand, like it's tough for the rest of the guys, himself included, to be motivated because the best you can ever do is be number two. You got like yeah. he was just like it's impossible. There's just there's no when he was on that ridiculous streak and Roddick was fairly outspoken about <laughs> about playing Federer, um, and uh, yeah, it's just kind of like you know, even if even if I'm feel like I'm the best player in the world, and even if I'm winning slams and I'm this and I'm that, I'm not the best player in the world. I'm number two. <laughs> well, they, I mean, the, the, we could go through all the numbers, but total weeks at number one in the ranking since the 4th of July 2011. So you've got Djokovic with his 311 weeks, Nadal 107 weeks, Andy Murray 41 weeks, and Roger Federer 25 weeks. I mean, just putting it into context. Wow. It's just silly, isn't it? It is. Silly. It silly. is pretty silly. And since we last spoke, Medvedev had a chance of being number two, but blew it in Rotterdam. Yeah. And blew it quite spectacularly. <laughs> in Medvedev style. It's, it's, it's the pressure as well, though, isn't it? It's, it's the, we, we think about, we read these stats. He was trying to do something that someone hadn't done for an awfully long time. There hadn't been a name that had broken up the big three, big four in so long. And Medvedev was on the cusp of doing that. He was on the cusp of winning a Grand Slam because he'd reached the Australian Open finally. It just goes to show that those final hurdles, whether it's it's psychological, I don't think it's anything to do with physically because I don't think Medvedev gets tired. I think 2019 showed us he doesn't get tired, does he? But, <laughs> but psychologically, there's still a few hurdles to get over if they're going to get anywhere near these guys. It does look pretty effortless for Medvedev, doesn't it? Week to week, he just sort of keeps playing. <laughs> He keeps winning and it's fine. But yeah, it is huge. And when you think about the people who did not get to number two, Juan Martin, Del Potro, Stan Wawrinka, we were chatting about this last week. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, what an extraordinary thing. It's not like Medvedev's won a slam. Both of those guys did win slams. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's just, it's going to come, isn't it? Because I think that number two spot is up for grabs. Okay, Nadal is, is going to be tough to dislodge because he's probably going to win Roland Garros and he's probably going to win some Masters on clay so he's going to accumulate enough points that he could be number two but if somebody were to do really really well the rest of the year and be that consistent they could of course take that spot and that's what Medvedev was very very close to doing and he might still do it yet of course (laughs) I I think it will probably happen it's got to happen and and Andre Rublev continues to dominate in the Masters. I mean, he's really, really coming into his own now. He just wins tournaments, doesn't he? He just, just, he just. How many tournaments did he win? Was it Rublev who won five last year? He was equal with Djokovic, wasn't he? The and there weren't. The was it? Was that last year? Yes. Because there weren't many tournaments. <laughs> He got off to a really fast start over in Australia. So he banked some titles early on before things became difficult. Yeah, but he's the sort of, you know, you just know he's just going to be picking up, you know, 250s, 500s. He's just, he's there. He's ready to win. He's brutal. He doesn't dip. You know, he doesn't have a a slight, a, a week that's sort of a bit meh. I mean, I don't even know how Rublev would be a bit meh because every ball is just bludgeoned to absolute death. It's that sort of... Bruh. Time. By the way, some some Grunt. of these sound effects are wonderful. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, yeah, so I mean, look, we love Rublev doing well, don't we? Just uh, he's somebody who could churn out the wins, and his rankings climbing. 
Oh, uh, a weird, a weird thing that I just can't shake since I saw it. Did you see? I think it was Rotterdam as well. Did you know? Do the player videos, and sometimes you ask them funny questions, or you know, I don't know, something a little bit aside from tennis. Kane Shakuri was asked. A few players were asked what they wanted to be when they were younger. So you know, you have oh, I want to be an astronaut, yeah. or a fireman, or a tennis player. Did you did you see this? I did, yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so they said, Kane Shikori, what did you want to be when you were younger? And he said, a penguin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know when you, you know when you try and okay, okay. <laughs> just uh, I, I mean, what do you say to that? Can you imagine if you yeah. do a follow up question like astronaut? I get the kids see space and it's really exciting and there's like aliens in space and maybe tennis player and fireman because you've got a big hose and you're <laughs> doing stuff with your hose, penguin. <laughs> yeah, but also being an astronaut or a fireman is possible. <laughs> you can't be a penguin. <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing I left it's out, isn't it? Not, it's great. Yeah, you got a big host. Now you could actually be a fireman if you wanted to. You could. It's pretty tough, but you could be an astronaut. But yeah, penguin. Oh, it was really sweet because I think I suppose it, when you say like, oh, what did you want to be when you're older? When you were younger you don't know what age people sort of gravitate to. So people might be thinking, oh, when I was eight years old, I wanted to be a tennis player. But he was probably thinking like, when I was two, <laughs> I really wanted to be a penguin. But it but was even really at the age of, Even at the age of, there's that cartoon, isn't there? Pingu. Yes. Pingu the penguin. I don't know, maybe that was big when he was when he was growing up. But it was, it was for Kids Day in Rotterdam. So it was kids asking the question. I think one of the questions was, do you remember your first kiss? Oh, yeah. Mm. I mean... I mean, can you imagine? And Andy Murray, I think, went into quite detail about how horrific it was. <laughs> it sounded <laughs> awful, didn't it? It was, it was, I mean, but poor old, I, oh, I love Nishikori. I, I mean, I, I think that might be one of the best tennis answers ever. I think every time from now on I do a Nishikori match, I'm going to mention it. Well, I, I do agree. And I would, I would say that we've had an interesting interview on the women's side as well this week, which was from Iga Svantec, who we've been talking about quite a lot recently because yeah, she just won that title um because she was asked i mean okay it's not as sweet and as cute as the penguin thing but <laughs> it's maybe not winning in terms <laughs> of comment of the week but she was asked uh, what her goals were and she came back with the most ridiculously mature response oh, yes. yeah, saying yeah. well actually it's not really to do with tennis it's more after tennis i want to make sure that i'm not lost which i thought was incredible you know because loads Very of players thoughtful. finish playing and they just don't know what to do I, I would say the majority I mean we, we spent a lot of time working with former players and I'd say you know a lot of them will talk about uh, that it was really difficult when they stopped in the years and they didn't know what to do with it uh, for, for quite some time it takes a while for them to find their feet so for her to be saying that at 20 she's 20 bonkers yeah. what did you want to be when you were young um <laughs> Uh, well I don't I mean the immediate thing is a tennis player but that was from being a little bit older but when I was really little so similar to like the penguin thing Uh (laughs) again it falls into the category of not really possible I suppose it it (laughs) might be possible it's more possible Uh. than being a penguin but I did want to be a sumo wrestler (laughs) (laughs) Where, where, okay, what age are we talking? What age are we talking? What, like what, little, ball? little, me- like three, four years okay, old. Three or four, like mine are five, and they wouldn't know what a sumo. How on earth did you have all this contact with sumo wrestling at the age of three and four? <laughs> I don't know. I had an older brother. I was probably influenced, and uh, yeah, for some reason, I just 
thought it looked great. I think I was more interested in like, oh, that means you could just eat whatever you wanted all the time and just eat food, eat chocolate, drink cream, all sorts can, of things. This is, I know nothing about sumo wrestling. Can women be sumo wrestlers? I have no idea. Do you know what? That's the thing. Unfortunately, it fizzled out. I never pursued that dream, but I'm sure I would have been very good. <laughs> so I, I never looked into it. But I'm not sure you could have pursued I've, well, Or maybe it's just I've never seen a female sumo wrestler. But have you ever um, put the outfits on? You know, you can... The blow-up ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I did that once and I was doing it with a friend of mine. And as she charged towards me in the sumo suit, she had such a look of sort of... I don't know. It was just the fear in me as she charged towards me. I just rolled out the way. <laughs> Strong move. <laughs> what, what did you want to be then when you were younger? I don't think I did. I, I, there's nothing. <laughs> there's nothing. I mean, like you, as I got a bit of, I've wanted to be a sports journalist since probably the earliest I remember wanting to be on is about 10. Because yeah. my stepdad was taking me to football and rugby and I was watching tennis and I had pictures of tennis players all over my room. And I, so that was about 10. But in terms of that, because I asked, I asked the twins the other day what they wanted to be. And I'm, I'm trying to remember but I think it was off the back of the penguin thing. But I think I had a straightforward, I think I had an astronaut. Yeah, great. Love that. And I think the other one was like a fast car driver. Because okay. So, so that was, I guess, fairly, well, not fairly achievable. They don't get that many astronauts. But it was... It was <laughs> Expected that he will now become an astronaut. <laughs> yes. You will be joining NASA's programme at the age of six. Um, but it wasn't... But the penguin thing, I mean, that was... Oh, that was... I just loved it. I was, but you, you're yeah, sumo wrestler. I think <laughs> I almost think that's up there a little bit. Oh, but I would say with the astronaut thing is, I mean, by the time they're older, space travels is going to be quite standard. It's just going to be a day out, so they probably will be able to achieve it. I think they might have to get quite rich first. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? There are people already trying to do like sort of holidays to Mars or something. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I don't know if that's already. Would you? <laughs> would got... you? Would you do that? Would you? <laughs> Go to Mars? No. Would you go to space? Well, I mean, no. If I was sort of a billionaire. No, if you were offered the chance. I'm not saying train is natural. To go to space. Would you go? <sighs> Probably not. No, I wouldn't. Why would you not go? Uh, scared of heights. <laughs> <laughs> so do you not go in aeroplanes? <laughs> yeah. No, uh, no I, I'm, I'm very risk averse as a person. I'm not, I, I often, you'll hear me, I often use the phrase, I mean, I say it all the time, I think I was saying it last week, like, is it worth it? And for me, something like that, not worth it. But it was worth it to be a sumo wrestler. But, yeah, <laughs> but they are, <clears throat> if you're a good sumo wrestler, I mean, the world is your oyster. I mean, these, these people are celebrities. They are A-list celebrities, oh, sumo wrestlers. They earn a lot of money. They earn a lot of money. So oh, that's, that, was, that was my thinking, was it's a great way to earn a lot of money, just to eat a load of food. But then we're talking about Iga Svantec saying, Sort of life after tennis, and she's oh yeah, a, a more appropriate answer. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just I'm trying to link that to you because you stopped playing at 21. Yeah, year so after her. Yes. Yeah, so we, but were you thinking about life after? Because you were thinking no. more about stopping. So, you know, it wasn't just you woke up one morning and said, "Right, I'm off." But so, did you have a little? a bit of an idea well no I mean I thought I was going to play until I am the age I am now which is 31 oh, okay that's what I thought was going to happen uh it didn't so it kind of took me by surprise I always had really wanted to coach so 
hadn't really stressed too much about life after tennis. I mean, I'd always been fascinated with journalism. That was something that I'd always really enjoyed, but, um, you know, I hadn't studied it or anything. So I didn't really think that that would be a path I would go down. Um, yeah, so I was just sort of excited about coaching. So I just really got stuck into it, but I absolutely had, uh, the first, the first sort of year I found really, really hard to figure out what I was doing, where I was going and, yeah, it was it was quite difficult to make that adjustment because it was quite an abrupt end to to the playing career. And and that's the thing, it can happen at any time, an injury, um, you know, you, you don't know how things are gonna pan out. So um, I'm sure Shontek will be around for a fair amount of time. But uh no, I never really thought about life after tennis in terms of planning into my thirties, because I thought I was gonna play till early thirties. Uh, because I don't know, I felt like it was sort of you weren't focusing on what you were doing. You were almost like if you're thinking so much about plan B, well, then you're not putting in 100% into plan A because if 1% is of effort is diverted into plan B, then that's not a good thing. But uh, I can tell anyone who wants to hear it that I was wrong. It's <laughs> not how it works. <laughs> we had a question. Now, this is kind of... It's not really about life after tennis, but it's sticking with kind of when you're younger from Nat. So hello to Nat. Hi, Nat. Question has been weighing on my mind. This is Nat speaking here. As COVID times continue, I can't help but wonder how this time is affecting the upcoming generation of tennis. As junior tournaments have been cancelled around the globe, including Grand Slams, how will this affect their development towards becoming pro tennis players? Will we see a few years where players aren't hitting the usual development marks because they couldn't train enough or couldn't leave home to train at an academy or couldn't experience a junior grand slam. We Will we see less players coming through because they opted to go to school instead? And she ends by saying, and this is, this is a lot for you to digest and then answer here, what will be the ramifications of these strange times in the next five years or more? Okay, well, that's a lot lot to get through. <laughs> that might be the rest of the pod. Um, but firstly, is this Nat the finger sniffer, Nat? <laughs> is it? Was Nat the finger sniffer? <laughs> I think so. Nat, Nat if, I think so. if you're not, can I apologise apologize that she's just labelled you a finger sniffer? But if you are, please tell me you're not still finger sniffing, thinking that that's what the professionals do. <laughs> They don't finger sniff. They blow on the hands. And if you want to hear, if you haven't heard that bit that we're talking about, Where is that it's going to sound from? very strange out of context. Um, but it is in our best of 2020, if anybody wants to pick up on the finger sniffing. Because it was quite a highlight. Penguins, sumo wrestlers and finger sniffings. Finger sniffings? <laughs> finger sniffing. And we're, yeah, we're not even halfway through. Right, good. Okay. Have we actually talked about tennis at all? I'm not sure we have. <laughs> I've I've tried I've tried to bring in the tennis, but then it kept veering off. It's I I just there's so much going on in my mind now. It's not clogged up with homeschooling tasks, right? So <laughs> where do you want to start with Nats? Uh, is there a worry for you about the juniors, or have you people you've been speaking to, and obviously your brother is in charge of of the academy system up at Loughborough? Are they still able to get enough of what they were getting to keep them on track? I'm not. I haven't been worried about um, the juniors just overall, the overall standard that you would see at a Grand Slam, for example. And, and I don't know why. I just haven't thought about it like that because every country has been doing it so differently and there have been different restrictions and some people have been pretty much travelling as normal and some countries have had lots of tournaments on. Um, 
so most of the conversation has been what's going to happen to the British players because that's that's just where I am. That's the focus. As you say, my brother's the, the head coach at the National Academy. So, yeah, it's, it's about them relative to other nations. And I think that's sort of the frustration is that if other people are able to compete. The main thing is the, the, the uh, competing. That That's the, the main thing. They just haven't been able to do enough of it. Um, you know, some of them have travelled and... You know, they have been able to get exempts if they uh, fall into the category of being an elite athlete and that sort of thing. But there haven't been a huge amount of tournaments on for them to play. And, uh, you know, it's it's really unfortunate. So and, and there haven't been many tournaments in Britain because it's just too difficult to get the international events on with all of the restrictions put in place by the government and the, the expense that that will be. So it really, uh, you know, absolutely there is a, a generation suffering for sure i think if you are much younger so say you're sort of a 12 13 14 year old i don't think this is going to be a big deal a year out of tennis even like an entire year out of tennis i I don't think is is going to to change a huge amount maybe it's a good thing could it be a good thing that they're actually getting a time to be an 11 12 year old and then if that love of tennis is there they'll sort of go back into it well they can't be an 11 12 year old because they can't hang out with their friends and do normal things that's the problem like they can't really you know they're not at school just doing the normal things so but i do think that it has made it very obvious for coaches um maybe for players and for parents uh whether they want to do it or not because this is making things more difficult and you can totally understand the motivation dropping for an awful lot of juniors but uh, i think the ones that really want to do it will be finding finding a way if you know what i mean so look i think it's going to be really difficult it's going to be interesting to see how it sort of pans out but at the moment it is you know it's looking like pretty much the rest of this year is going to be really disrupted for the juniors and for the lower ranks of the uh, professional players as well you know there have been barely any uh, women's itf events on to compete in at all it's uh yeah it, it's very very frustrating for if a player's ranked sort of 250 it's it's just really rough going and i think if yeah you're sort of a the top 100 top 200 junior i don't think it's as bad losing a year at that age um but yeah just losing that that competitiveness is is hard so there'll be some countries that will be able to compete you might have it might even benefit them because maybe the the best 14 year old Czech player is able to play against all of the best 19 year old Czech players because they're playing all, all these tournaments domestically I don't know that might be the case and so it's just it's different everywhere so you will have some people will be worse off in the end um but it's yeah it's it's tough and even a country like Britain which is a very very rich country when it comes to tennis and and the budget just cannot put the tournaments on they just can't do it I was working last weekend on the UK Pro League now we had the UK Pro Series last summer which was a, a series of events in quite a condensed period. This is now the UK Pro League because it's eight weeks. It's spread out across eight weeks featuring Britain's elite players, men and women. Then week nine is finals week. That's what it comes down to. And every week you have seven matches in seven days. So every match is worth something because it's worth points. It's worth prize money. You have an appearance fee to go to the event. You go into a league table. And then the top nine at the end of the eight weeks uh, qualify for finals week and you get three wild cards on top of that and this is to give British players an opportunity 
to compete and to earn money. And it's the first few weeks at least are taking place at Loughborough University. I mentioned it's it's a men's and women's event. And the one thing every single player said was how much they appreciated the opportunity to earn money so they could continue to have a career in tennis. Oh, it's absolutely huge. I mean, it's just something that I think they they are incredibly appreciative and incredibly fortunate that this has come along at this time. It's something that had actually been planned for quite a while. And then the, the, the pandemic and the lockdown and that's just sort of allowed them to do it with um, really great players last summer because they were around. Everybody was wanting to compete. Uh, so they got a really good launch and it's a, you know, a fantastic, uh, a fantastic thing. And, you know, the lower ranks, they do need that, that bit of extra support. It's, um, it's it's just it's really hard it's hard to keep the motivation it's 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 a slog isn't it and it's just time out of your life I mean it's time out of everybody's life with whatever they're doing but there will be people who will reflect on things and and end up stopping well hey we had with our British player Marcus Willis I don't know if uh, our international listeners will know of Marcus but he went on the extraordinary run at Wimbledon coming through <laughs> the Wimbledon wildcard playoffs which is just for the Brits to get a wildcard into qualifying he won three matches there then he won three matches in Wimbledon qualifying then he reached the second round because he beat Ricardus Barrancas in the first round and then he played Federer in the second round on centre court it was just extraordinary I mean he could not have been further away from the tournament <laughs> when he started uh, but anyway he he falls into the category of he's been, you know, he's just not been able to play at, at, at all. And uh, and look, maybe he was considering stopping, but it's just it's not viable for him to continue. So he has he stopped. So that's just one example that people might know about. And, and listening to the stories and these players saying, well, I, I went over to Sharm El Sheikh in Egypt, but I was in pre-qualifying. And some people are like, yeah, there is a pre-qualifying. Yeah, there's a pre-qualifying. And so you've got your matches in pre-qualifying where you don't get any money or points. And then we got matches in qualifying where you're still got getting any points. There's nothing, you know, to get into the main draw. So you imagine everything you've got to go through to maybe pick up, I don't know, how many, what, 10 points? I, I don't know, for that sort of level of tournament to, to get and the, the money's not going to be great. I mean, that's really difficult. And there are a lot of players, higher ranked players, dropping down to play in these events because there aren't as many events to be found. I mean, it's a... For some players, it's a real it's a real vicious circle. Yeah, and I also know of some players, some really really good players, particularly promising juniors, who are basically they just sort of cut the cord back end of last year, have just played domestically and just said, "Nah, I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to wait. I'm just going to wait, and that's it. I'm going to train. I'm going to play in any domestic events, and I'm just going to wait until." you know, the vaccinations have been sorted and that we can at least get their tournaments on because they're just, there are so few. And as you say, there are so few, they're so strong. It's already a calculated risk traveling around the world anyway. So it's, um, it's, it's really difficult. You know, I really feel, feel for the, for the players, but I do think that the younger you are almost the better it is. Like it's okay to have a year of not competing is not actually the end of the world. You you are able, it's one of the things, I mean, you were talking about potential positives that could come out of it. And it is one of the things with tennis, we talk about how relentless it is and you don't get to develop your game um, for long-term gain very easily. It's always a battle that coaches have got to, to, to deal with when you coach juniors. And it's something that if somebody specializes in coaching top uh, teenagers, then this is pretty much what they're the best at because 
you know you have to do that so somebody like uh, Natalie Tozier who works for Tennis Canada worked with Bianca Andreescu worked with Eugenie Bouchard uh, like with, with some of the Canadians coming through and really got them ready as teenagers but you have to juggle the they need to win now because they need to learn how to win they need to learn how to compete uh, and they need confidence because I tell you what if you lose first round every single week you're, you will not be playing for very long at all. Like, unfortunately, you cannot just say, oh, when she's 19, this is all going to be great. The kid won't make it because no one wants to keep playing tennis if they're losing all the time. The great thing just to say about the UK Pro League is they, they're getting those seven matches in seven days. Yeah. So you, you have you have another chance. As you say, you, you lose first round and off you go. You lose first round, you off you go. But here, they know. And, and by the end, you know, they were saying that it was pretty difficult physically for them because some of them, it was their first tournament in 2021, but they're getting the matches. They're getting, they know that if they stay fit and healthy they've got seven matches in seven days yeah absolutely and that's it so they're learning the competitiveness they're learning to compete they're getting the matches and that's the bit that everybody's been missing because you know sure you can go and you can work on your game you can improve your forehand your defensive forehand your serve you can do all sorts you can be a better player and have a better game but without having the competition and as I was saying before, you know, as a coach, it's always that balance. We need to improve the game, but they need to learn how to compete and win. And sometimes you're going to lean more towards one way and other times towards the other. And it's a really difficult balance to find. The majority of coaches get it wrong a lot. And that's where, as I say, somebody who specializes in it is really, really good at that. But obviously, over the past 12 months, the players have had so much time to develop their games and barely any time to compete. So something like the UK Pro League is just sort of just go play don't even think about anything else like we've done all the work <laughs> just go you'll be better just go and compete and figure it out um yeah so it, it's a it's a fantastic opportunity and and I think the Brits are, are really lucky because you know you take that away and any of the Brits who are sort of ranked 200 and lower well it just hasn't really been much yeah, and look, if you win it, you're getting around £3,750. I think that's for the winner. And then you're getting a £500 appearance fee. And we're talking that's a, you could get that every week for eight weeks if you're going to win it every week. But there's... Well, it's more than, there's more than a lot of professional tournaments. I mean, you, yeah. that's far more than you would win for winning a $15,000 event. Yeah, and, and, and as I say, every match you're playing for something, it's points, there's prize money. So even on the Sunday, if you haven't made it through the semifinals, you're still playing for, for position. And I think the great thing is they can bring someone with them onto court. I say someone because it doesn't have to be a coach. Some of them don't have a coach. Some of them don't bring a coach. We had one of the players brought her boyfriend on court <laughs> nice. So the question was asked, is this going to be okay? So she made a point of saying, we've been together five years. We're, we're very steady. We're very fine. Because <laughs> you're thinking, I don't know, would you want would you want Ben on court with you? Absolutely not. <laughs> it was, it was, there, was, there was one point, and, and some of the players brought their, their mums on. And um, one player's mum said, I don't get a chance really to watch my daughter. So that was a lovely opportunity for her to be courtside and another player had her mum on she banned her from bringing a cup of tea on which we thought was a bit harsh because oh, it what? was come on fr- it's cold now it was freezing and then there was one point in the match when her daughter was about to lose the second set I think it was that and and the person I was commentating with we had the shot of the mum and, and the player it was Freya Christie and her mum Carol and um our co-commentator said if you were her mum what would you say now and I went nothing 
Oh, I think silence is golden at a time like this. <laughs> but it was really good. You know, some brought friends on. Josh Paris, who won the men's events, who actually spent two or three years training over in Spain when he was younger with um, Andre Rublev and Karen Hashanov. I mean, this is, you know, and Galo Blanco oh, yeah. is one of the coaches out there. It's, I think, uh, he brought, I should say, his brother on when he played the final. His brother was there. But I think that's what I really enjoy. And, and you kind of know this about me, that I like finding out, like, the backstories. And, uh, you know, mm. hopefully I'm alongside, alongside someone like your good self in a commentary box. And you can give us the technical everything and, and the specifics of exactly what they're doing. I kind of like to paint a picture and find out about them. And that's been great. You know, there's one player who travelled around Europe in a camper van on his own because that's the only way he could make it work until he got a yeah. couple of sponsors who he said allowed me to travel in semi-luxury. And actually one of his sponsors, he had courtside with him. He was the other player, Billy Harris, in the final, just to say thank you to him. It was a little thank oh, you. Nice. He said, you, you can't imagine, you know, what it means to me. And hearing these players' stories of, as I mentioned, Josh Paris training with Andre Rublev, uh, what, five years ago. But then the money ran out and he couldn't stay there anymore and he had to come back. And I think a, a big thing for me has been sort of, yeah, their backstories and what they have gone through and what sacrifices they've made and they continue to make to be a professional tennis player. Yes, full on. And it's full on from such a young age as well in tennis. That's just sort of how it works. It's such a high skill-based sport, a high level of skill um, required. It, it's not something that you can pick up and, you know, as a teenager, it just doesn't happen. I mean, the latest we ever hear of people starting playing tennis at a professionals is probably 10. And that's that's considered very late. Normal is sort of five or six. It's... You know, that's that's sort of that's normal, really. So it's um yeah, it, it is one of those things where it has just been a, a lifelong sort of passion for these these players and and obsession and, and working as hard as they can. And look, all they want is the opportunity to see, the opportunity to give it a crack and see. And if they're not good enough, they're not good enough. They're you know, none of them are complaining, saying you know. Yeah, you know, I, I should be in the top hundred. Well, you, you, <laughs> you know, you you can be if you can get to the tournaments, but that's it. It's so. The thing that I love about tennis is that it is so straightforward. It is be good enough and get to the tournaments. The problem is, is that getting to the tournaments is so hard. It is expensive. It is difficult. You need backing from somewhere, from anywhere. Like everybody does. It doesn't matter whether you're from Britain, from Georgia. It doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. It costs everybody a lot of money to travel around to get to these tournaments. And that's why the tournaments in Sharm El Sheikh that you mentioned before and in, in Tunisia and these domestic tournaments like the UK Pro League are so important because you can stay in one place and not have ridiculous expenses that when you win the tournament, you're pretty much like, oh, okay, I only earn a couple of hundred quid because I've spent the rest on flights and accommodation and food and, and whatever. I mean, let alone if you want to coach with you as well and to, to do it properly. And, and and that's the thing, you know, they just want the chance to see and yeah, give it a crack. But nowadays with the average age of the top 100 being so much older and people breaking through to the top 100 so much older, it, you're talking about years. When I was playing, it used to be sort of, have a crack for two years and see. And I think it was quite possible. A lot of people couldn't do it, but it was quite possible for the majority to get enough money to really sort of go properly for two years and then see where they sort of fall. And they get you get a good idea then as to whether you can make it or not. But now you've got people breaking through sort of 26, 27 years old and you're talking about five, six years they've got to sit on the circuit. 
So that's why we get lots of people going out to, to US college because they can spend some time there developing before going on the circuit. But even then, it it is years and so, so, so much money. We know they don't make any money. You don't make any money down there. You don't. But you still have to do it for, for quite some time unless you're going to be... Uh, you know, one of the the absolute top players that's going to blast through and get all the wild cards. Do you think that's what we might see more of? And I remember when we had it during the progress tour last summer, we had the the US college route conversation, and I think I remember saying that if I was going through it, I think going to US college sounds like a lot of fun and playing tennis and sort of learning and being out there. But do you think with everything that's going on now, fewer tournaments, fewer opportunities? that we might see more people trying to go the US college route because it buys them a little bit more time? Um, I'm not sure if the pandemic would contribute to that or not. I mean, maybe maybe it would, yeah. I mean, if, if you are considering whether you're going to go pro this August or whether you were going to go to college, then maybe you would be thinking of going to college and buy yourself a bit of time that way. But yeah, it is... Um, it, it it's it's a very interesting one it, it's just it's so crowded at, in the top 100 you know these we talk about these players and their longevity but that's another spot that somebody can't take some you know somebody new can't have uh there are only a certain amount of jobs available and uh yeah you know it does increase all the time and that i suppose is probably the biggest concern is that over the past 10 20 30 years i mean for forever really since tennis has been going since the open era the amount of players that could earn money from the sport has been increasing now i know a lot of people will say it's too slow and that it should be more and you know i I get that but it is it is increasing um you know when i started playing it was about 150 women could earn a living and 200 men and now it's probably 200 women and 250 men that sort of thing so you can just it, it, it there are more and more jobs available and that has been a very slow and steady increase, but maybe that will stop. Maybe it'll decrease now because maybe there'll be less prize money available in the coming years as, as tournaments try to recover from the pandemic. Maybe there'll just be less tournaments around. I don't know. So maybe that will be where tennis will be hit the hardest. Actually, it's going to reduce down in terms of the opportunities that actually, you know, there, there are less places uh, which is going to be even tougher because it feels like there are less places because people are playing so much longer than they were. You know, they used to play between the age of 18 and 32, for example. And now, you know, yeah, I know we talk about Federer and Serena, but there are a lot of players playing into their late 30s and continuing I on. I should have sent you a picture at the weekend because we were commentating. We were, it's indoor. Uh, Dan Maskell Tennis Centre, Loughborough was indoor. It was free, freezing. Literally had six layers on, a hat, a scarf. I couldn't bring myself to put my gloves on. It just wouldn't feel right commentating with gloves on. Um, Jenny, who I was <laughs> alongside, had a water bottle added into all the layers. Yeah. It was it was freezing. How many cups of tea did you get through? Well, just... I don't drink tea. Oh, you don't drink tea, do you? So I was, yeah. I was hot water. I was tempted to ask for a cup of tea just to hold it. Well, it's it's kind of funny because it's freezing there and really it's really really cold in that centre, isn't it? Very very cold. But when I did it, because I worked on the UK Pro Series, it was in the summer. It was thirty six degrees, <laughs> and we were in this room above a swimming pool, a heated indoor swimming pool, and it was the whole room was made out of glass. So it was just this greenhouse. <laughs> it was so hot, and I was quite pregnant at the time, so I was oh, not enjoying yeah. the heat. So two extremes. It was either freezing, and on the court, it was a joke as well for the players. It was just it, we were having a heat wave, you know. Oh, here there's no worries about heat wave currently. It's <laughs> the people who come out to watch the player, whether it be a coach, family member, a friend literally are in ski wear 
and a lot of the players yeah. you know are playing in the sort of the leggings and the long sleeve top it, it is it is bit the warmest place i found was the toilet so <laughs> i went to the toilet oh yeah get the hand dry I, going. no not even the hand, just the toilet was really warm the the room oh, so nice. i just kept going to the toilet and i was like you know if you need me i'm in the toilet because it was the it was the one <laughs> warm place but look if anyone uh, is interested in seeing the tennis players that great britain has it's they're very competitive matches the uk pro league it's running throughout the year the next one is in around 10 days time and it, the matches are streamed live on youtube throughout the week and at the weekend on BT Sport 3 but it's 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 a, it's a lot of fun it's really interesting to work on in it and it just ring really does bring back the reality of, of how tough it is and what these players are going through just to sort of eke out living and and keep their dreams alive of being professional tennis players one thing I did see there was an advert being played um that I kept saying would you give a child a credit card <laughs> a credit card um, yeah if it didn't work maybe yeah no, would you actually, there's under 10 year old, would you give them a credit card? No, probably not, no. There's an advert of a company who um, specialise in credit cards for children. Ah. Literally. Wait, when you say credit card, do you mean like credit card. spending money you don't have? Or do you mean a card, a plastic card that has money on it that they could spend that I would give them? No, it's, it's, it's a, well... They don't have the money. I imagine if they're under 10, they don't have the money. Whether So someone's got to put the money on. But it's giving them a way of spending. So they've got a credit card. And it said, oh, you can keep track of what they're spending. I don't want to keep track of what they're spending. You shouldn't be spending. Like, I just, I just, I know things like mobile phones. Like my five-year-olds are saying, oh, my friend has got a mobile phone. And you're thinking, oh, God, it's starting at five. But a credit yeah. card. I mean, I think as an adult, I didn't have a credit card till I can't remember when. But I just, I just literally, we, we were all sort of watching this advert and our mouths, our jaws were kind of dropping, thinking, would you give a child a credit card? An actual child's credit card. Yeah. Imagine. Imagine your seven-year-old going up to the <laughs> shops and handing over the credit card. <laughs> it's not right, is it? Yeah, probably not. What do you mean, probably not? Is it... <laughs> It's just, it's not, like, it's not right, is it? Yeah, but the world's going to go cashless at some point, isn't it? Not for six-year-olds. <laughs> well, the they're going to have to live in the world, aren't they? Well, they live in the world, but ha- they don't need a credit card, do wow. they? They can say, so like... passionate, I love it. Like, well, you wait you wait till Roger's a bit older and asking you for a credit card at the age of five. I, I, <laughs> what I'm loving is all these conversations we're having when I'm kind of saying this stuff about kids and like dressing up things and you're like, yeah, yeah. I just can't wait for Roger to be that bit older. And you're saying to me, oh God, I've got to make a, a whatever, an astronaut costume out of uh-huh. toilet, toilet rolls and tin foil in the next three hours. And you know what? I'm just going to enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to enjoy. And when Roger comes home and says, mommy, I want a credit card. Don't call me. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> Did you see? I've got a question for you. Did you see mm-hmm. uh, Garbina Muguruza uh, was doing well? I told you she's back, uh, but she's been doing well. I know I'm, yep. I'm claiming this one. Nobody else thought she was doing well, even when she reached the final of the Australian Open last year. <laughs> Nobody thought the former world number one and Grand Slam champion could do it was well. Only me. It's only me. You've gone out on a limb once again. <laughs> right, sorry. No, but she was playing, and her coach Conchita Martinez couldn't be there. Did you see how she was there, but she wasn't there? Yeah, because she's she have COVID, right? Yeah, that's why she couldn't be there. They had a little. Didn't they have a little phone or an iPad with her on watching? Yeah, but what I didn't, I, but I don't understand it. Like I don't, don't understand, understand it. 
Because, so the other people in Garbina's book box, they yeah. had a phone, held a phone, yeah. Yeah. With, and Conchita was on it. So yeah. like we're doing a video call now, you could see yeah. Conchita's sat at home on her sofa. Yeah. And and they were pointing at the court so she could see the court. Which book, so but which why book can't you don't she... understand? <laughs> <laughs> well, firstly, that's going to be a terrible view. And secondly, like, why wouldn't she just be like streaming it? I don't understand. Like, you can just watch these matches. Like, the WGA has its own streaming service. But, but I, I imagine, I bet it was being streamed, but she also wanted to be there. So she probably... Not... What? what? <laughs> no, but you see what I mean? So she, she wants to sort of team Muguruza, still wants to be part of that. So she probably had a computer or a TV streaming the, the match, right? So she had that in front yeah. of her. But then on her phone, like we're doing, she FaceTimed or someone FaceTimed her or Zoomed or whatever they're doing. And so she was there as well. So as well as watching oh. it, she could also chat to the people in the box. So they could say, Conchita, oh, we're a bit concerned about this. And mm. they could sort of chat, you see? Yeah. And also, I suppose if, if Garbina had gone quite close up to the box, she could sort of communicate and go, come on, here we go. This one. She could, you know, do all of that sort of stuff. So she, okay, no, there actually there are, yes, a better, didn't, didn't, didn't consider that talking to the people in the box. Because I just thought there must be a better way for her to watch this match than <laughs> to have somebody hold a phone up. <laughs> I think, I think she just wanted to be part of it. Yeah. See what okay, I mean? I like it. Dedication. Is, yeah, it's, it's, it's dedication. And she's probably got the match on another screen. And, and she's, she's doing well. And she's doing, and as you predicted... She's doing, and can I just say that um, before we leave everyone today, there'll be some of our listeners really happy that we haven't mentioned a certain former Australian Open champion because <laughs> we did get a little bit of feedback last week saying, please stop talking about her. <laughs> yeah, I know. Would I'm going to sulk about it, but I will stop well, talking we, about there, her. There was just nothing to talk about with regards to her this week, so we didn't. There's, there's plenty of, plenty going on. and um, But I'm going to go now because I've got an hour left of silence Wow. And, yeah, so, I, so I'm just going to, I think, sit. I'm not going to walk into silence. I'm going to walk into a crying baby. So I'm going to go and uh, get him. <laughs> yeah, you you get crying baby. I'm just going to sit in silence for the next hour and just appreciate this moment oh, before, lovely. before it all goes. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm actually going to ask them again today what they wanted to be when they were, what they want to be when they grow up because they are little. And so next week, because I, I may have just made up those, I'll get the confirmed what they want to be when they grow up. Okay. Recommend yep. a sumo wrestler. I, think I just don't think that's going to come up. Why on earth would that ever <laughs> come up with you? That is, that is one of the mysteries.